what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films podcast here on the mesh.tv where we talk about movies. As you could probably get from the name of the podcast, it probably kind of tipped you yes. off a little bit there. My name is Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. We are both uh, directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and directors of the Foot Candle Film Festival. That is coming up very, very quickly as we yeah. record this. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the episode, kind of tease a little bit more of that. But we're here to talk about current movies and some movie reviews that we're going to share with you. Uh, a few movie news items that we're going to talk about some upcoming productions that we're interested in following. And then we'll end the show as we always do with Chris and I both recommending a film we think is worth your time to check out if you're looking for something to watch uh, the coming weekend or uh, at home uh, with uh, various streaming and uh, digital options. So Chris, we've got a couple of films we're going to be talking about today. Uh, we're going to be discussing the latest uh, DC Universe film, uh, I guess it's part of that DC extended universe. I don't know what they're calling it so. nowadays, but it's the suicide squad noting the word the in front of suicide squad to distinguish it from the previous suicide squad movie that came out a couple of years ago. The suicide squad we'll be talking about, and then we'll also be discussing the film, the green Knight by a writer director, David Lowry. So Chris, uh, we got some stuff to get into. You doing okay? First off, I'm sorry, I didn't even ask. Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, looking forward to the festival coming up in just about a month, and uh, things are precariously returning to normal. So that's nice. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, you just jinx it. So uh, I know. Uh, Hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, you ready to talk some movies? Yes. All right. Let's jump right into our first review. It is The Suicide Squad. You gotta be kidding me. You're gonna risk the entire mission for a mental defective dress as a court jester. This is coming from a guy that wears a toilet seat on his head. We don't leave one of our own behind. Hopefully Harley's still alive. No funny business, Colonel. These are dangerous people. Team two is clear to go. Fire off. Three, two. What are you guys doing? What? You, we're, we're here to save you. You were gonna save me? It was a really good plan, too. Well, I can go back inside and you can still do it. That's patronizing. I'm so sorry. Harley Quinn. Bloodsport. You know the deal. Successfully complete the mission, you get 10 years off your sentence. You fail to follow my orders in any way, and I detonate the explosive device in the base of your skull. So this is the famous Suicide Squad. Any questions? Chris, in this version of The Suicide Squad, we have supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, 
Peacemaker and a whole bunch of other crazy, uh, crazy villains all uh, in a Bell Riff prison. They joined this very super secret task force where basically, as the name implies, they're kind of it's kind of expendable villains. The idea that they're they're being required to accomplish these missions and be a part of this task force or else they risk losing their head, quite literally. Um, they're dropped off at the enemy-infused island of Cordo Maltese, and they encounter some very interesting characters and villains of their own that they have to overcome. Chris, we have a, a wide, large number of people involved in this film. Uh, Idris Elba, we've got um, uh, Margot Robbie, of course, reprising her role as, uh, as uh, Harley Quinn. Uh, several other interesting people, a, a, a voice actor that I'm going to wait and talk about a little bit later that I want to heap some praise on myself. Hmm. But, uh, the big question for me, Chris, with this film, you know, there was a version of the film called Suicide Squad. Yes. Uh, it just came out a few years ago. Twenty-sixteen. Wow. So like four or five years ago, mm-hmm. not long ago at all. Yeah. That was director David Ayer, um, made a lot of money, but. Uh, was not really critically or publicly revered as a good film. You and I both did not care for it. I remember we were pretty negative on it. So my big question to you, this version of The Suicide Squad, I'm going to go ahead and say, I mean, I think it's a foregone conclusion. It is considered an improvement to that older one. My question to you, though, is, is it enough of an improvement to even justify its existence? Or did it completely wash away the taste of the old version and we now have a fresh new version that we're very happy with. How do you take on this film? Well, I mean, I, I guess if you if you looked at this film and said, well, is there a reason for it to exist? Well, if you count the first one as a failure, and then you look at this one and say, okay, was it better? Okay, most people are saying it's better. So that in its own is, I guess, a reason for it to exist. Um, I think as an R-rated action movie that has superheroes in it, it kind of lives up to what you expect. Um, so I think it, there is reason enough for it to exist. I did find things in it that I enjoyed, but you know, this just really isn't my, uh, my game, I guess. <laughs> I mean, now if I were 18 or 20 years old or, you know, in college or something, wanting to go see a rowdy action, shoot em up, blood going everywhere movie, this would probably fit the bill and I would probably like it a lot more, but you know, I'm, I've seen a lot of movies, violence, especially like explicit violence isn't really my thing. Um, And we can get into this a little later after you give your opinion too. But it's interesting for me to justify that when I do like Tarantino films as opposed to this. So, well, we can, we can get to that discussion a little bit, but so those are my original or my initial thoughts is, yeah, this has a reason to exist for what it's trying to be. I think it meets those expectations. What were your thoughts? Um, I, I liked the film. I had a good time with it. I thought it was fun. I, I, I do agree with you. I, I think it is overly bloody and gory for its own sake. And it did detract me from the film. Some not that I'm saying sitting here trying to play a prude and say, I don't want to see that stuff. Sure. It's just, I'm like you, it's not typically the kind of film I go for. Um, and I think unfortunately it also is going to limit the audience a little bit appeal because I mean, you really can't market this film to, what I think would be an ideal prime candidate target, your 14, 15, 16, 17 year old kids that would probably get a blast out of this, except for the fact that it is just over the top gore, violence, uh, profanity, and so forth. But 
given that, given that this is a film geared towards adults, and I get it. I mean, it, that's that's where it's, they're marketing it to. That's where they're 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 going after. I, I think it works. I think it was fun. Uh, it's not perfect. I think there's some things that they could have done differently that would have made it made it work. That we can go into a little bit more detail, but overall, I did find the film to be a fun time. It it, it pretty early on plays up the idea that these these people these characters are going to be expendable and i like the fact that in many of the cases they kind of live up to a lot of those promises i'm not giving away who and who makes it who doesn't make it type of thing but the fact of the matter is by the end of the film i'm like well okay they they kind of held up their end of the bargain by saying you know a lot of these people don't get too attached to them there's a reason why we're throwing so many characters in this film and part of the fun for me was all right who's actually going to make it walking away at the end and i could have probably guessed i'm not going to say whether my guesses were right or wrong but you know you kind of predict early on who's going to make it that was part of the fun of the film um i will say i enjoyed a lot of the performances i thought uh Idris Elba, I thought was great. I really enjoyed him playing the kind of the, the quote leader of the group, although unwilling uh, leader, um, someone who's had a lot of history that we kind of get some hints about in the film. And they, they do a nice job of kind of just teasing just enough of who he was in a previous life and his current relationship with his daughter, I thought was at least made for some interesting watch. He, he, I liked his character a lot and there are some others I really liked as well. Um, I've got some thoughts on Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn that we can go to maybe when we talk about some things that maybe didn't work as well for me, but, um, overall I've got, I, I, I'm not going to say that anything about this film was outstanding and is going to make me sing its praises, but I had a good enough time with it to where I thought it was fun. I do think it's the kind of thing, the tone that the film needed to take after the previous version, which that previous version could have been a lot more entertaining and fun and just really tried to try to do some creative things. This film definitely did those things. Um, but I'm probably a little bit lining with you is it's, it's not the kind of film I am always a fan of. So, well, you know, that sounds like a cop out as a critic to say that, <laughs> well, I personally just, it's not my type of film. It, it does impact my overall viewing experience and that, you know, it's, I could have done without, uh, as much gratuitous violence as there was, which I thought some of it was just to, I get the sense James Gunn just likes to throw all that on the, that's just his thing. He loves to throw on the screen and he didn't get to do it with guardians of the galaxy films. Those were his Marvel PG 13 movies. Right. So now, okay, DC's giving me a blank check here to just go crazy. I'm going to throw it all out there. And he did. And I just I wonder how that really works for the DC brand as well with with the their relationship with other well maybe other that's what they're all about so because yeah. with like you know the Joker movie that they did or jo- sorry not the Joker just yeah, no, Joker don't, don't just start putting these the on everything Chris. Fun, you can't do that like obviously that one reveled in the violence and mm. the you know extreme nature of that film yeah. so maybe that's just the thing is DC says we can't seem to figure out how to do a unified cinematic universe like Marvel so what we're going to do is just kind of treat every movie as a one shot. Everything. And that's kind of what they're doing, which I think that recipe probably works okay for them right now because they couldn't get their act together on any kind of cohesive universe to begin with. But that all being said, looking at this film as its own entity, well, um, it was fun, entertaining. Um, I'll get into some specifics in a minute. but um, Well, and I, I'll say something that stood apart from the first film, other than the bare outline of the first film, which is there's a group of villains that are put together that are given a mission and 
they try to pull it off and if they die, who cares? Cause they're villains. That's what I remember about the first movie, except to me, <laughs> like there wasn't really a unified, I mean, there was a bad guy. I can't even remember a whole lot about like the bad guy. It seemed like very ghostbusters. It was in a building and mm-hmm. they had to march towards this building. It was just did not work. And yeah. that was one of the big kind of letdowns because you had specific characters in the movie that tried to make it work like Margot Robbie. I'm hinting, or you seem to hint that maybe she doesn't work for you as Harley Quinn. She does for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I liked her in the last film and obviously they took what worked from the last film and turned it up to 11 and obviously birds of prey did okay too. So they put her Mm -hmm. in this and, you know, I liked her in this, but have, if we have seen the last of Harley Quinn, um, would that bother me? No. But if somebody's like, I actually think she does such a good job with that character that it would be like putting somebody else in the Joker after Heath Ledger did it. Um, it would yeah. be tough. Right. And somebody could do, totally do it just like, you know, Joaquin Phoenix did it for Joker. But I'm just saying, to me, she really kind of does the no, character. I, I, no, she is the character and I like her performance in it. I just feel like it seemed a little too obvious to me that yes, they wanted to carry over the one element that did work from the previous film, the one bankable character that everybody knew. I felt like she was just shoehorned into the film. And even at at one point has a whole plot line that doesn't really involve anybody else. She just has her own subplot. So it's kind of like, okay, we know what you're doing. Margot Robbie as Harley Quinn is a box office draw. Although birds of prey didn't really do that. Well, it was kind of big disappointment when it came out. So I just, I felt like it was more of a, let's just, let's get the fan service in and bring her back in for this, even though it didn't really need her. I guess that's where I'm getting at. It's, I don't think it needed her because we knew that. All right. I'm going to spoil one little bit. We know she's not going to die. Okay. I mean, I think mm-hmm. that's all kind of an understanding that she is a character that DC has a lot banked on. She is one of the, the few characters that has kind of worked in all their universe films they're not going to kill her off anytime soon. And so knowing that and knowing that she's in this film, it kind of took some of the fun out of it. Cause it's like, well, I mean, I know she's going to be okay. Well, see, I'll, yeah. I'll counter argue that okay. because to me it was irritating it, and it kind of plays into the violence idea of things to have people in there just to violently kill them. That doesn't entertain me. Yeah. And like going in, you knew and, you don't, you don't know, but you figure, yeah, with a cast of all these different names, we could read off their names. I mean, it's, you know, you already mentioned some of them, but you have Nathan Fillion and you have Jai Courtney and then you have Pete Davidson and, you know, it's like on and on and on. So you figure as the, all these different villains, you know, they're not going to make it. And sure enough, a bunch of them don't, but I'd guess the gleeful nature that some of the, especially there's a beach scene and the storming the beach scene. And, you know, we, I guess we're just, we keep talking about the violence. So violence in movies, I don't have a problem with, but gleeful violence seeming to just really enjoy it. Well, that does bother me. And Tarantino, when he does violence, I can see how you can level that criticism against it. But to me, it's usually like, and there's an event, like once upon a time in Hollywood, there's the, scene at the man, you know, with the Manson stuff towards the end. But outside of that, you don't have extended displays of it throughout his films. And this one, I felt like they were just instance after instance and enjoying cruelty. For instance, opening scene, um, what's it? Michael Rooker's character, the savant. Mm -hmm. 
I just, I'm not going to, he kills a bird. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it's just like, there's no other reason than he kills a bird. Now you could say, Oh, it's a criminal. And he's showing how he's heartless. Okay. But in such a, like, you know where the scene's going and it's just like reveling in the fact that this guy's really cool. Then as I was wondering, does James Gunn have something against birds? Mm -hmm. There's another scene where there's this bird cage with lots of birds and I think it's torched. I don't even remember. It's like all Mm -hmm. these birds. It's just like, okay, yeah, maybe he the, hates birds. Well, interestingly enough, somebody called him out on Twitter and he's like, no, they're just pe- bad people in movies doing bad things. I don't, and like, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, so I, 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 I didn't have any problem as much of a problem on the whole reveling of, of the violence because I mean, and I think they do it. I think it hit enough for me. The, the, the setup that these people, majority of these people we're following are really, really bad people. I mean, even the fact that one of them, you know, is kind of called out early on as has murdered children. So that's why they're on this squad because they're expendable. I don't have a problem but playing with that, that for well. laughs. Not not playing the fact that they murder children for laughs. I mean, the fact that 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 they themselves are going to get murdered in violent ways. Again, it, it's still not my cup of tea. So I'm not sitting here advocating it. I'm right. just saying I, I I did not see it as a it's upsetting to watch or it's bothersome to watch. It's, and and yes, he is reveling in it. He absolutely is. And I think this is something I kind of get the impression that maybe he's been bottled up with a couple movies from (laughs) Marvel. He's like, I just need to let it out. I just got to do this. And you know, I didn't have as much of an issue. It's just, and I hate saying that I'm, I'm not the biggest fan of this film because of the violence. Because again, that just, I don't want to sound like I'm censoring somebody's work and what they're trying to do. It's just, I think the violence was just too gratuitous in this film to make it a really, really uh, strong film for me to recommend. What's the difference in, you know, the matrix, regardless of what I think of those movies overall, you know, they are violent. There's tons of gunplay everywhere, but every gunshot doesn't result in someone's head exploding. True. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of the difference. That is kind of the King shark takes a moment to rip a person in, in half. I think that was actually ruined in like a trailer, yeah, a red band trailer yeah. that came out before the movie came out. And it's like, okay, I get it. He is a shark. He's an analyst. He eats people whole or something, but just, it was just, just a little too much for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so, well, fair enough. Well, let, let me hit on a couple other quick points of some things I, I thought really worked well. Sure. Um, Danielle Melchar as rat catcher. Hmm. Never seen her before. I thought she was really good. She's a character that I felt like was going to be hmm. a very minor player. Ratcatcher too. Well, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, the, the second version. <laughs> I thought she was going to be an extremely minor character when her role got expanded and there was some actually some development with her character. I liked it. I thought she was really good in her role. And having Taika Waititi as her father, I guess. In, I, I thought it was Wayne Coyne the whole time. Um, did you really? Until the very end when he kind of shows up again. Yeah, because he has this kind of wacky yeah, yeah. hair and it looks like the guy from the Flaming Lips. And I was like, oh my gosh, but not um, him. no, not him. It was um, John Cena as pacema- Peacemaker. He was funny. He was really good. Well, I mean, and the, the humor that existed yeah. between him and Idris Elba's yeah, character was really good. Was really good. I liked the humor overall in this, except for the violent related humor, but the like the dialogue humor back and forth. The the competition between them. Yeah. Um, You know, and and basically, I think John Cena has settled into his new persona. (laughs) I mean, he's going on talk shows dressed in the whole Peacemaker outfit. Well, he's going to have a spinoff series. He's going to have a spinoff series on HBO. So I'm happy with that. I like it. I thought it was funny. Um, 
And, uh, you know, any James Gunn movie I've seen does a pretty good use of music. Um, I thought the soundtrack and music was really good for the film. Um, there's a song, People Who Died, that I've always loved. It's kind of a little bit of an 80s punk song. Hmm. And it's played during the opening credits. And I'm like, yeah, of course, that's perfect. I mean, that's exactly the song that needs to play for this movie. Hmm. So James Gunn just has a really good ear for, I know what song needs to play in these parts to really make this film work. And he he got the soundtrack right in a lot of places. Um, I mentioned Margot Robbie. As I do feel like, I mean, she's good. She is always good in this character. I just felt like her character was unnecessary for the film and thrown in simply as fan service to build up a marketing uh, appeal for the film. And that's, that was just a little distracting for me. Um, you mentioned King shark. Yes. He's an incredibly violent character, but casting Sylvester Stallone as the voice actor for King shark is a brilliant move. And it worked <laughs> to perfection. I do love that character. I loved every, every moment he was on film. Um, I wish he was as ultraviolet as he was at times. No, but I, he was still extremely entertaining and I thought I liked his character a lot. I mean, I uh, guess I could excuse maybe his ultra violence yeah. or like the, I mean, he's that, a shark. Yeah. He's not even a human. So, right. you know. um, I, I will say I had a fun time with the film. There are parts of the film that really liked, uh, the biggest accolade I've got to give it though. I, I tell you the whole ending fight sequence that was I good. thought was really good. Especially when you compare it to the disastrous oh. stuff of the other movie or a lot of, both Marvel and DC movies well, where they have these big fight scenes. You can't really tell what's going nope. on with this one. I, I agree. I feel yeah. like it was, I love the ending. I actually yeah. liked the ending villain. I don't know if I want to really go into spoiling what it is, but <laughs> sure. I love the villain that they're fighting. It was just unique enough to be a really fascinating fight. You're, you're interested in how they're going to fight this character, which is not something I can say for a lot of other superhero finale movies that we've seen. Uh, I was generally intrigued on, okay, how do you fight this? How are they going to handle this? And I, and I even thought the animation on the big villain was, was good. I mean, again, I normally have to roll my eyes during those final sequences in these movies, but this one worked for me really well. So um, it left me with a good taste in my mouth from the movie at the end of the movie. Normally these ending fight sequences normally just really, drop my enjoyment level several notches by the end of the film. As much as I may have liked the film up to that point, that ending will sometimes just water it down. This one actually elevated it by the time I got to the end. So you, um, you called out the character of rat catcher too, by a uh, Daniela no cure or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I did like her as mm-hmm. well. Um, somebody else, which I was not familiar. So I wasn't familiar if that character actually does exist in the DC world, I don't know. I've never heard of them. <laughs> Ratcatcher or Ratcatcher 2. Never heard of either one of them. Wasn't familiar with Ratcatchers. Um, somebody else that I was not familiar with at all, but I enjoyed kind of their character's arc and the stuff that you learn about them was Polka Dot Man. Yes. And that um, he does exist in the DC universe. He does universe, exist. Yes. Okay. And, you know, kind of counter expectations, think it's going to be a throwaway character, you know. But there's a little bit more going on mm-hmm. with that. Just like you would assume Ratcatcher 2 is kind of a throwaway <laughs> character. Um, but with both of those, there's a little bit more story arc going on. It's played by David, and I cannot pronounce his last yeah. name, Desmaclean or something. I, I, don't, I don't know how to say his name. Um, sorry. I apologize to the actor. If you look him up on IMDb, you'll recognize him. He's been in other things. Desmaclean. Okay. That's there we Malchian, go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, 
but I, I liked his performance and I liked the, the character. And that's, that's overall, that's what I have to say about the film. Yeah. Not my particular brand of, um, superhero film, a little mm-hmm. bit too violent for me, but I can appreciate a lot of the things that it did do. Well, it was able to establish some interesting characters. It was able to take kind of a ridiculous, big evil, bad guy, but make it plausible and make it work and have the final battle scene work. Oh, yeah. And I, and I have to admit that. And despite all the violence that I've harped on or the way sometimes it seems like enjoying it or, you know, kind of rubbing in your face, the violence, there is a line that comes kind of towards the end of the film where they show Ratcatcher two talking to her dad, Ratcatcher, And she's like, you know, dad, what, what's up? Why rats? <laughs> And his line back to her as well, rats are the lowliest and most despised of all creatures, but if they have a purpose, so do we. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, you know, that's now, you know, does that excuse all the violence? No, I wish it was let, but James Gunn putting that in and kind of tying a bow on mm-hmm. things. You're like, all right, you know, there is, there is something there. Mm-hmm. So underneath the layers of violence. <laughs> so. Actually, the more we're talking about the film, I actually, I, I, I might like be it liking more? it a little bit more. Okay. I, uh, I I think there's enough here to make it an interesting watch. And I think there's enough here to, to cement it as a, a good film in the whole superhero over whatever you want to call it. mm-hmm. it's, um, you know, a few misgivings again, I think you and I just have that more personal you know, concern about the, uh, the hyper hyper stylized violence that's going on. Sure. Uh, again, and I, you mentioned the matrix. I mean, I, I look back at the matrix and I, I kind of cringe when it's the huge gunplay scenes where police officers are getting murdered and all that, that bothers me still sure. to watch the matrix now. So, sure. so it is like, it's not just a matter of, you know, only certain directors can pull it off and I like it. No, it's, it's, it's kind of that way with everybody. Even with Tarantino, it's just, it's, it's sometimes a little, a little much. This movie was definitely a lot much. But if you can kind of get past that, I think there's a lot there to enjoy. The, the humor is really strong. The overall design of the film is great. Uh, the ending sequence I thought was really, really, really good. Um, and I loved all the characters. I thought, you know, the characters were, were fun and had great personalities. And you let them do a little bit. So I couldn't tell you anything about the characters in the Suicide Squad, the first one. I couldn't tell you anything about any of their development, anything that they yeah. – anything about their backstories or anything. These guys, I know a few a of them. More. Like I, I hear sure. them, I see them, and I, I remember them, which is great. So, And I think, you know, let's say this first Suicide Squad came out in 2016. We're in 2021. This one came out. So you go five years down the road, 2026. Will I remember this movie and will I be able to tell you something about it? I would say yes. Yeah, yeah. sure. Absolutely. So I think, you know, you – kind of evaluate them on that. And yeah, that's where I agreed. Stand. Well, that's the suicide squad. Sounds like we're generally positive on it. I think you may be a little higher. Than I'm me, a little higher yeah. than you are. Um, I'm, I'm giving it a recommendation, but it's a cautious recommendation. Cause I do think it's, 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 it is, it is a lot to, <laughs> it's a lot to handle in a film, but I think there's some good things under the surface. Once you wipe away all the blood and gore, there's some really, it's a really good film in there. And uh, some good performances, some good characters, um, some great action sequences. So, yeah, I had a good time with it. So, I'll be curious. Um, and, you know, James Gunn, a lot of people, 
James Gunn basically got fired from Guardians mm-hmm. of the Galaxy 2, and then he was available, and he did this. But now he's gone back, and he will Well, he didn't another. get fired from number two. He did number two. He right, got right, fired right. after number right. two. Right, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then he's gotten rehired, and he's going to do a Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I'm wondering, with this movie, will DC continue to do Suicide Squads? Are they going to say, okay, we're done. We've, we've made a successful version or a more successful version? Well— and now we're done. Here's the challenge is that box office wise, this version has not done very well. Okay. Where the previous version did, hmm. but critically and fans did not like the previous version. Critics and fans really loved this version, but it didn't do well. Do I well. mean, whether it's pandemic related, whether it's sure. the fact that it's on HBO max or free for subscribers, I don't know, but uh, DC has got to be looking at it saying, look, we just can't get it right. Well, <laughs> you think, know, because you want critical claim and you want box office. Return. I don't, I don't know. I feel like I saw something fleeting on the internet where Margot Robbie had kind of said this was her final time with Harley Quinn. So oh. I don't know if, uh, maybe that was an effort to get people to go out and see it. Cause she's like, you know, I really yeah. enjoyed it, but this is my last, my swan song performance is Harley Quinn, which, you know, so be it if I guess that is, but um, yeah, that'd be interesting. I feel like we never really got the true Harley Quinn movie, even Birds of Prey. I mean, it was shared with like three other characters. Sure. It was, and you know, it was it was fine. I, I thought Birds of Prey was okay. Um, I don't know. I just never felt like we got really her time to really take that character and just make a movie out of it. Hmm. But uh, we'll see. That's a whole another story for another day. All right, well, that's The Suicide Squad. It is still in theaters, but it's also available on HBO Max. So if you have an HBO Max subscription, you can watch it now. I'm sure it'll still be in the movie theaters for a little while. I mean, it's doing okay business, especially in in pandemic times. But definitely nowhere near the budget that was put in or marketing costs and all that. So, I mean, they're going to take a bath on this, unfortunately. But will that mean that James Gunn gets to, gets to come back to the DC universe or is he saying, well, I had my one time, I'm going to go back over to Marvel and we're going to be okay there. Yeah, who who knows? knows? Yeah, who knows? All right, let's, uh, let's move on to our second film, Chris. Very excited to talk about this next one. This is David Lowry's medieval epic, the green Knight. Friends. Brothers and sisters. Who can regale me and my queen with some myth? Or tale? Oh, greatest of kings, let one of your knights try to land a blow against me. Indulge me in this game. I will need thee. In part of a PR campaign for The Green Knight, the film studio A24 sent out a letter from director David Lowry in which he described his fascination with medievalism and Arthurian legend that he can trace back to his childhood. The letter actually included a photo of him at age eight playing with his brother and a friend, and they were in like full paper mache knight costumes. Do you feel this passion came across in his telling of the tale of Sir Gawain, the Green Knight, Alan, or and the Green Knight? Sorry, Sir Gawain is not the Green Knight. Yes, yeah, Sir Gawain confused. is not the Green Knight. <laughs> no, he is not. He is so, facing off against the Green Knight. Yes. So, do you feel like his passion came across in the telling of the tale of Sir Gawain? And yes. The Green Knight. Okay. That's the answer. <laughs> yes. And yeah. then we're done. Then we're done. Um, yeah. 
No, absolutely. I think it's it's very clear. It was very clear to me watching this. This guy loves this type of film. He loves this period of storytelling. He loves the lore and the the legends. Um, I even heard in an interview he you know, kind of said you know the 1980s film Excalibur mm-hmm. was something that was kind of a little bit of an influence for him. Sure. Several others from that kind of 1980s period where. It was still very. Uh, there was a lot of movies that came out about the Arth- King Arthur time period and and so forth. No, I think I think it's he's absolutely in love with that that idea, and it shows in the film. Um, uh, this is a retelling of a true medieval story, something that's been presented. My understanding it was in film many many years ago, but not anytime recent. And obviously, it's based on a true story, so they printed story that you could read. Hmm? Yeah, based on a poem. A poem. Okay, well, that's what so, I mean. Yeah, yeah, not, yeah, a, not a true story. Not a big, well, I mean, happen, it's a poem but, with a story in it. Right. Yeah, but yeah, so this the original poem of this. Um, I love this movie. Hmm. I would so not have guessed that. So we may have an interesting conversation here. I would not have guessed that. Yeah. Um, and I'll tell you why. Um, if, you, if you go into this film... And I think, you know, if you, you, you hear the title and you see that it's a medieval period, you know, epic fantasy type thing, you're probably going to go in and be disappointed because it is slow. It is very artful. Um, and it may not give you the, the full uh, satisfying story you're looking for. But if you can kind of go in knowing those things and knowing, I mean, my, my thing is, you know, we're in film. We know David Lowry, he did a ghost story, which right. you want to talk about a slow movie. <laughs> That's a slow movie right yeah. there. He's done other films that are also very methodical and very paced very, very slowly. It's just his style. So I knew that going in. Sure. So I kind of went in with the right kind of expectations, but I really like this. I, have been having to read a lot about it afterwards to mm. make some sense of some things. But I do have a couple misgivings, but I still love the film. I love the production design. I think it looks beautiful. I like the use of practical effects in a lot of places, especially like the green Knight himself, the, the design. And I don't know, just so much of this worked, but I can see where it's not going to work for a lot of people. Um, but I'm very, very curious. I have a lot of notes. Uh, I'm very curious about your thoughts, Chris. What did well, you What did you think? Here's about the thing. Um, I've been looking forward to this film, um, just basically based on the trailer and because of Dev Patel being in it. And uh, we reviewed Personal History of David Copperfield a mm-hmm. um, couple couple of shows ago now. Um, but he was in that last year, and um, him following that up with this The Green Knight. He's just he's a, once again really solid in it. Um, I think initially for this film, just like you said, the production design, the acting, the cinematography, the score, just everything about the film, I will say was really good. But what left me a little cold, I guess you could say, is the pacing of the film, Mm -hmm. which I could accept that, except for the fact out of the theater, I just felt dumb. Like I didn't, it was like I was kind of being mocked because I didn't know, I hadn't read the poem, The Green Knight, Mm -hmm. or I wasn't familiar with this particular part of medieval, you know, kind of folklore history and King Arthur. And I just, 
I felt kind of stupid, like, well, I guess I would have liked that if I'd done my homework. Um, However, sitting with the film for a little while, and I couldn't help it, yes, I went on Wikipedia and had it kind of um, Wikipedia explain some things to me, and I was like, oh, okay, Mm -hmm. that's what it was trying to do. Um, And normally, I like films, you and I have talked about on the show, we don't like things explained to us. We I like some things that are open-ended or things, but... I guess I felt like there was a slight remove from this one in that I felt like I was just way out in the dark and I had no idea what was going on sometimes. It looked great and the acting was great, but I didn't really have an understanding of what was going on. So that was my initial thought. But the more I've sat with it, the more I like, and I'll have to ask you a question. We can kind of maybe get into, although if you've read the poem and you know the story, it's not really spoilers. Yeah. But kind of the ending of the film. Well, uh, you did hit on the one big point I was going to make kind of on a criticism of the film is I do feel like it takes a lot of liberties in assuming, you know, the original work it's based on, which I did not. Do I feel like if I had known that original poem and story that I would have appreciated this more? Yeah, there are some points I think that would have been a lot more interesting in watching the film if I was familiar with the source material more. So I, in reading up afterwards about the source, the poem this is based on, and the full story in the poem, I'm like, oh, wow. Well, yeah, well, that's pretty interesting what he did with this, this, and this character and that. But I never would have gotten that from just watching the film if I had not, like you said, done the research afterwards. Right. That, I think, is a misgiving of the film. I think that's a little bit of a problem. And that is going to leave some people um, wanting more out of it than they got. I mean, a good um, film for me stands on its own, right. regardless if you've You're done right. your research or not. So I so. agree with you on that. That was the thing when I, when the film ended, that was kind of my initial thoughts is I feel like I missed some things. I feel like there's some things that were not explained to me, or maybe I should have known. And once I read up on it, I'm like, Oh yeah, now I totally, everything kind of all makes sense in a bigger picture. Now I get it, but you're right. The film, the film shouldn't require us to do extra work outside of it. Um, so that is a, a problem with the film. I do, I do give you that. And that's, that hurt my initial reaction to the film considerably. Um, that being said, I'm willing to give it a lot of, a lot of credit because of just the look and the production design, the feel of the film, the style of the film in general. I just, I really did love looking and watching this film. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I liked all the performances. I liked the sense of, you know, if you stand back and look at it, it is a fairly classic storyline. Uh, this is a parable. This is a story about this character, and he's on a somewhat of a quest he has to fulfill. And he's going to encounter these interesting characters along the way and have these little mini little kind of stories along the way. It's a very standard. Like That's what happens on these quest tales and stories. But the 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 character of Gawain himself, um, as presented in the film, there's a lot more going on there than just oh I'm a knight and I'm on this quest now and I have to go. No, there's a lot more going on, and the right. fact that he, you know, even in his first encounter with people on his quest, uh, he he does not act like a typical hero knight that you would expect to see, and I like that. That's that's a little more realistic picture of what somebody in this this position might have been at that time. Uh, facing this situation. Um, so uh, Alicia Vikander uh, is in the film. 
it's already listed in IMDb that she's got two roles. So I, mean, mm-hmm. I think I can safely say she plays two roles in the film. And I was so excited to see her. I really like her as an actress and hadn't really seen her a lot recently. And so um, I was really excited. Yeah. And I thought she did a really good she job. Did. Two very different. One, she plays kind of a, a lower born character. Mm-hmm. And the other one, she plays a higher born like mm-hmm. princess type character. So yeah. Yeah, that was, I, I enjoyed her and thought she did really good. And along the same lines, uh, Joel Edgerton shows up also. I liked him as well. I mean, he was almost unrecognizable for me for a while, but he, he was good as the Lord. We're just going to leave it yeah, at that. Sure. Um, again, that's a character that plays a different role in the poem than what we see in the film, but mm. and it could have been more interesting if we had known more about that backstory. See, I, I still haven't read the poem at all. Mm. All I got from Wikipedia was who certain people were supposed yeah, to be. And right. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, um, and then Sean Harris as the king. Oh, I yeah. liked him a lot. He was really good in that role. I mean, his voice does so much acting. Yes. Just this like raspy. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that they have Sean Harris as the king and Kate Dickey as queen. They are king author. And, and then that is in the poem. That is the story. But Although they never specifically say that in the they movie. They never say it in the movie. And right. they also never say the fact that Guywin's mother Supposedly in the original story is also a different character, but we just get mother in the film and that's it. So So it's almost like they're trying to take a very watered down version. We don't want to make it specific. We don't want to tie it to any other story or literature. We don't want to make it its own thing. The problem was, is that there just wasn't enough given to us to make us really understand the relationships and why the story had a lot more impact than what you may walk away from, from it with. Um, well, and I, I, and I'm doing this without spoiling. It's very dancing around. Right, it, but, right. Yeah. Which I think we should get to spoiling because it's just so. a kind of an interesting, like, what mm. do you make of the ending? Yeah. Um. So we'll get to that in a second. But um, first, a little trivia: Are you aware that both the Queen and the Green Knight are played by the two people that were the husband and wife in The Witch? Oh no! So that's kind of an interesting. Oh, that's interesting. A24 produces something. They yeah, also yeah. produced The Witch. So different director and everything, but still, it's just kind that. of interesting. Um, so. We'll, uh, we'll go ahead and say uh, you mentioned how she's just told as mother, but, but um, in reading online, I was taking that Gowan's mom was technically, I guess, depending on which version of the myth you read, Morgan Le Fay or mm-hmm. um, what's the other name that they use for Morgana or something. Yeah. Anyway, she's a witch. Mm-hmm. And so that made a little bit more sense to me. Um, apparently, from what I've heard, <laughs> Merlin was actually supposed to be in the court. I didn't realize Merlin was there at all. I realized yeah. that King uh, Arthur was supposed to be there with like his wife. And, you know, oh, I no, I, I totally saw Merlin. You got, okay, so Merlin was the one. Uh, well, again, I'm trying not to spoil stuff. This is not, not spoiling material. Early in the film, um, when the Green Knight first appears, uh, there is a round table of the knights around. Mm-hmm. And one of them, when the Green Knight appears, King Arthur looks at him. He's dressed a little differently than the rest of the knights. Yeah. I think he's wearing red or something like that. And he does something that looks like he's almost trying to do some sort of incantation. And he looks back at Arthur and kind of gives him a no, like, no, this isn't, you know, either <laughs> this, isn't, this isn't magic or this is real or something. Anyway, that right away, I'm like, oh, I bet that's, See, that, that's I, what that is. I didn't even. And he actually is the one who um, does something with a baby later on in the film. Um, or at least takes a baby at one point late in the film. 
Oh, yeah, yeah I that was the same one. I don't remember. See, okay, I remember the the baby being taken late in the film, but yeah. I didn't remember that as being a standout character. So I had no. Well, it's not a standout. But I had that's, no knowledge of like that's that where, was Merlin. That's who that it was. Yeah, makes mm-hmm. sense to me. Sure. Um, so I'll say that learning a little bit more about what became kind of interesting thing for me to think of afterward. And immediately after the film, I was kind of confused. I was like, wait a second. His mom basically causes, or from what I was taking, his mom kind of causes the green Knight to happen. And then if you look at what happens to him because of the green Knight, he has to go on this quest. We can say, I mean, it's in the trailer. Yeah, yeah, sure. So he's challenged by the green Knight. And says, you know, if you can strike me, cool, in a year hence, I'll come and strike you. Or you have to track me down and you can, I'll strike you the same way and then we'll be done. It's kind mm-hmm. of like a game, supposedly. Well, he strikes, you know, so Gawain mm-hmm. takes up the challenge. Nobody else is going to do it. Nobody, none of the other knights move. They just kind of sit there. And he had just told King Arthur, oh, yeah, I don't have any stories to tell you. I'm kind of boring. <laughs> so um, he takes up the challenge and he chops off the knight's head. Of course, this being you know, medieval fantasy type stuff. The knight picks up his head and like laughs at him. He's like, okay, see you in a year, bud. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but you, and then he's basically, Gowan's like has this knowledge if he has to go on this quest, but once he finds this knight, this knight's going to chop his head off. So you're like, why would his mom put him in that situation? Um, she does give him a belt kind of thing that he's supposed to wear around his waist that will kind of, she says, will protect him from, well, anything so I've got my happened. theory on the whole thing. But, so, yeah. yeah, it was kind of interesting. Why would she set him up? And then there's something that happens at the very end of the film uh, when he does track down the Green Knight and they have a little bit of a conversation. Um, and the last 15 minutes are kind of very interesting, especially where you think the film yeah. ends up landing. So without spoiling any of that, I'll say that um, the more I thought about it, the more the movie was more interesting kind of about – defining your own path Mm -hmm. and thinking you're one thing and maybe you aren't and the choices that you make. Um, so, but I, I still feel like it could have been maybe better spelled out (laughs) or not, not not as vague because it was so vague. I felt myself kind of just drifting. I didn't want to be drifting. I wanted to be kind of nailed down more to the narrative. I never got into the drifting. I've been there with many films before. (laughs) I didn't get there with this one. This one still got me, kept me engaged the whole time. It's very like a ghost story to talk about David Lauer, the director's prior film, ghost story. Ghost story has certain, you know, plot points, but it is kind of like, it's a ghost kind of wandering. It's just a very meandering film. It's just taking its time. It's, and yeah, there were, there are definitely scenes in this film where it's like, well, we're just going to show, we're just going to show him galloping on a horse for a good little while. You know, <laughs> no reason to do it other than we just want to, maybe it's the idea that we just want them to know that this is a journey. This is a longer journey. And He's then there's the time. talking fox and the Valley of Giants that are like yodeling back and forth with him. Yeah. The Valley of the Giants. I, I'm still, I'm still working. I'm still processing that one. Okay. The Fox I've got. Okay. I've got everything else. The Giants. Uh, I don't know. I really don't. Um, <laughs> I do know there's a scene where they uh, eat some very poisonous mushrooms. Sure. And I think the giants appeared shortly after that. So, so maybe like that's all trailer. tied connected. I'm not sure. sure. Um, this is a very discussion worthy film. And we even are bordering up on some spoiler stuff. So let's, how about Aaron a little bit, Chris, if you want to talk spoiler, we can. Okay. I'm okay with that. All right. So be forewarned, we're going to talk spoilers. Yeah. So here's the deal. If you are, if you are intrigued enough to go see this film and I, I'm highly recommending it, I like it, but I will be the first to say it's not for everybody. 
Uh, if you have a, if you have a tough time with pacing of slow films or very vague films that aren't really going to spell everything out for you, this will be a challenge and this will be a tough one. But if you are a fan of the medieval period, which I always was growing up, I loved stories of the Knights of the Round Table and all that time period. And if you don't mind the pacing and are willing to just let the film kind of roll with you, uh, I think there's a lot here to really absorb and, and talk about. So I liked it a lot. Um, all right. So we are going to spoil for a little bit. So if you don't want the spoilers, just fast forward to when you hear us talking about news. And yeah. yeah. We'll, we'll have a little break and we'll be talking about news. Yeah. So fast forward to that. Okay. So let's talk about the ending of the film. Let's do it. Okay. So as you mentioned, um, Gaywin, Gaywin, how am I pronouncing this? I've heard it pronounced several different ways. It's like Ga and then Win, Gawain. Gawain, okay. Yeah. So Gawain eventually makes his way to the Green Knight. Now, you asked the question of why would a mother summon a Green Knight that's going to basically play a game with her son and basically kill her son? Right. I don't think she intended for the Green Knight to get confronted by her son. Okay. Okay. I think she, from what I read in the poem... And again, this is again, this should not happen in this film. The film should be on its own surf, on <laughs> right. its own uh, basis. Well, she gives him a belt. But so the poem is actually, from- she is upset with King Arthur, her brother or stepbrother or brother and uh, half brother or some degree. Upset with King Arthur. Yeah. yeah. She's upset with King Arthur and, and does not think that any of the knights of the round table are at all honorable, chivalrous, whatever. Okay. So the green knight was a test. She summoned the green knight. A test that she makes up just to prove yeah. her son is worthy. Well, no, she had no intention for her son to hop up and do this. Ah. She was wanting somebody else, or at least for King Arthur to see that there's nobody around him that is worthy of being at that table. And maybe her son is is worthy. This is poem-based. Yeah. Okay. Now, whether or not that was the intention of the film, I don't know. I've also heard theories that she summoned the Green Knight because she, like you said, she wanted her son to be given a chance to show that he's honorable, but yet she's condemning to his death. Now, did they know that Gawain was going to stand up and cut the the knight's head off or was he going to yield and say, no, I don't want to do that. I I don't want to suffer the same fate that I'm about to give you. So I'm not going to do it. We don't know. So my reading and this go, we're going to like spoil it all the way to the end because, well, okay. Before, before I give my reading at the very end of the film, you see Gawain goes, he does meet the green knight and he runs away. And he returns back to the kingdom, which they never say is Camelot, but we're assuming if you mm-hmm. know, things are supposed to fall in place. There again, they don't give you a lot of breadcrumbs. They just mm-hmm. kind of, you know, yeah. the breadcrumbs are scattered if they are there. But he returns, he um, goes to King Arthur, Arthur knights him, you know, Arthur dies, he becomes king. He has a, his, so you he mentioned child, Alicia Vikander with, plays yeah. two roles. He has a child with the peasant woman. I think least. she's even a prostitute. Like, yeah, yeah, heard, yeah, prostitute. Mm-hmm. And has a child with her, then takes the baby and leaves her out in the wilderness or just leave, just, you know, disowns her, doesn't talk to her anymore. Marries somebody else, all this kind of stuff. Now, it goes forward in time and you see him like he's, his kingdom's in ruin. He's not really happy. And he decides at that point, he's had the little belt on this whole time. He takes the belt off. And his head slides off. Yes. Then you realize this is maybe kind of a dream. And you've cut back and the green knight's there. Gawain takes off the belt. Yeah. No, yeah. This, that whole thing was a fantasy. Right. right. That was all a what if. 
if I were to run away. If I were to run away and be a coward. The Green Knight, when he meets him, he like, it's like three times, I think. First Mm -hmm. time, he's like, oh, I'm not ready yet. Then he bows down again. He's like, oh, I'm not ready yet. The third time, I think it's the third time, which would be very fitting happening in threes, he gets up and he runs away. Well, like you're saying, that didn't really happen. They cut back to the scene and the Green Knight, he's like, okay, I'm ready. And he takes off the belt and the Green Knight says something to the effect of, you know, well played because this was all a game or whatever, you know, well played, you know, and I think he says knight at that point. He says mm-hmm, something, calls mm-hmm. him knight, and he's like, now, off with your head, mm-hmm. and they cut to black. Mm-hmm. So, Alan, <laughs> what do you think that means? Okay, so... Considering the Green Knight was made by his mom. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, okay, the whole making by the mom, there's a lot of different ways to go with that, but in the ending by itself, it is technically a happy ending. <laughs> Gaiwan's going to lose his head. He's going to die. He's going to die. But him not dying and being a coward and running away and not fulfilling that destiny that he set for himself would have been disastrous, would have been bad. People would have been killed and hurt and his kingdom was ruined and he, you know, scorned the woman that he, he should have, that he he seemed to kind of genuinely like, yeah. And lost his son. Like the baby grows up and is a son in the army and like dies in battle. And anyway, it's bad. It's a bad situation. (laughs) So you, you kind of cut back and it's this like really abrupt cut back to the current time. And he's there about to get his head cut off by the green knight. Like you said, he relinquishes that green belt because he's like, no, that was what was – well, I'll get to that in a minute. In theory, that would have protected him had the Green Knight swung his yes. axe. But it would have still caused problems, right? Anyway, he was not fulfilling his destiny. And that was the whole sense of chivalry and honor that he is a knight. He had accepted this challenge, and he is a man of his word. He's going to fulfill it, and he's going to die. But at least he did it with honor, and he did it proving that he, he had worth. Um, where if he had not, things that would have gone really, really bad mm-hmm. for a lot of people, not just him. <laughs> right. So overall, you kind of it's it's a tongue in cheek kind of you know campy way to say it, it's a good it's a happy ending, but it kind of was. I love the ending of this movie. Actually, when it got past that whole what if sequence, and we find out that we're back still at the Green Knight's little chapel, mm-hmm. and he's I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm like, mm-hmm. yes, I get it. He's going to die still, but at least he did it with a sense of honor. Why his mom put him through this? Don't know. Okay. Um, so the I, have other, a, I have a reading on that. But all right, well, the other thing I wanted to mention, I think since we're spoiling, we're just kind of dissecting the Yeah, I mean, we've, bit. yeah. The green belt that he wears. Yes. Okay. So in the poem, and I don't know if this is really accurately well translated to the film or not. But in the poem, you know, um, Gawain, do, or Gawain does visit this, uh, the Lord and Lady. Yes. Um, late in the travels, like it's the last stop before, before he the, goes to the, the Green Knight's green chapel. chapel. Yeah. And um, the Lord kind of makes a deal with him and says, look, I'm going to go out and hunt all day and I'm going to bring you whatever I, whatever I find. But in exchange, you have to give me whatever you received during the day as well. And at first, it's just these kisses, okay? So he got a kiss. Gawain got a kiss from the lady. And he gives a kiss back to the Lord when the Lord comes back. Right. The green belt was something he got from the lady on the last day. But he did not give the green belt back to the Lord. Right. Okay? The Lord knew that. And I think he realized that, yeah, 
the kid didn't give me the belt like he was given. How did he lose the belt prior to? It was taken by those thieves. We don't know how he got it back though. Okay. Well, the lady had the belt again. The, th- the thieves took his horse, the yeah. axe, and mm-hmm. yeah, okay. So in the poem, the Lord is the green knight. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And that's part of the whole punishment is that you did not give me back what you were given. That was our deal. And so the fact that you're not giving me the green belt back is kind of the reason why we're going to go through with this because, you know, you, 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 you dropped your word. See, and that, that makes me dislike the film because that's relying too much on you to but, know that. But no, but I don't think you have to know that. That's the thing. I don't think that no. was essential to know for the ending. Okay. I just thought it was interesting that that's, I think, a storyline they tried to weave in, but it ultimately had no bearing on the end. The Green Knight still is like, look. Just added running time. Yeah. The Green Knight's basically like, look, I made a deal with you a year ago. You agreed to it. You cut my head off. You didn't have to do that. No. But you did. It said lay a blow, which technically means he could have just cut him yeah, on the you arm just, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Just a little flesh wound. And that's great. I'll do a flesh wound on you a year from now. But no, Guywin's like, I want to prove myself. I want to be all big and give a story to King Arthur. So I'm going to chop your head off. So to me, my reading, and there again, it took me a while because I walked out of the movie. I was just confused. Like, why would this mom, why would his mom do this? Then I learned she was a sorceress and who she was supposed to be. And a little bit, maybe I didn't read the poem, but how she didn't like King Arthur. And so it was like, okay. So there again, doing homework on my own, which I guess is okay for movies to give you homework. Um, usually I like for things not to be, I like for, I like open endings, but not to just feel like I'm just totally lost. Well, open endings, but not open endings that force you to try to want to, you have to read up to find out why it was open ended. Right. I feel yeah. like that's just kind of poor filmmaking maybe, but um, not that this, I think this film is good. Um, but my read on why things happen the way they did. So his mom conjures up the green knight. And it's going to be a threatening challenge. But she gives him this belt as kind of a, but nobody else really knows about Mm. the belt. It's kind of like a secret, like basically I'm going to, I am manipulating you. I want you to get power, get power from King Arthur, take it away from all the other knights. I want you to be like the ruler, but you're going to do it through trickery. How you're going to do it is just going to be this huge green knight that I guess even Merlin says, don't mess with it, King. Yeah, yeah. This guy's guy's the real deal. Let this idiot do it. And so he does. But what ends up happening through that secret, he he tries to become a better person because he starts off and he disavows the the prostitute that he's Mm -hmm. kind of had a relationship with. He um, gets robbed by these kid bandits. He's just kind of useless. He does rescue a woman who's had her head beheaded. So, mm-hmm. And that's how he gets the ax back, which is interesting. True. Although if you remember, even in that situation, the very first thing he asked the woman before he dives in to go find her head is, well, what am I going to get in return if, <laughs> right. if I do this? So in other right. words, it's still, it's just showing a little he's still got a lot of development to go. Through. Oh yeah. yeah. So at the end, when he sees like, you know, he doesn't really want to die, which kind of can't blame him. And he's got that belt on, but he's like, and he sees, well, what happens if I just run away? And he sees, like, basically, I've been manipulated, all this kind of stuff. I go back, and I don't really – I end up being kind of a jerk, and my kingdom falls to ruin anyway. So instead, what I'm going to do is just say, I'm going to take off this belt. So the mom, that was not her – her intention was for him to keep that on, the Green Knight to swing his thing, and I guess his neck wouldn't fall off because mm-hmm. it would magically mm-hmm. protect him. But instead of choosing that, he actually says, like, I'm not going to be a pawn. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to choose 
to yeah to die and so he takes it off and he does so that that's kind of like you know he kind of goes against why what his mom was kind of hoping. yeah but i think his mom his own, he his, becomes his own person his mom was trying to get so. him to to be seen as powerful and and uh, the the next ruler but to do it through trickery but in the end of the day uh, Guywin says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because in a way, he he sees what his life would be like if he did live through a life of trickery. So it's interesting. You and I both have the interpretation that the Green Knight does chop off his head. Yes. So I've heard rumblings on the internet that actually a lot of people think that that's not what happens. <laughs> Which I'm like, huh, I don't see the basis well, for that at all. I, I don't either. And don't, again, is that in the poem, this, is he beheaded? Um, Gowan, is he beheaded in the poem? I don't remember. Okay. Well, you know, but at that point, I'm, because I think of their take on it, the people that think he's not beheaded was it was cause it's mentioned several times in the film. The King whispers to him, remember, this is just a game. The mom, I think it's like the thing about this all just being a big game. Nothing really matters. I know. And so I, people, they are saying like the green Knight basically is just like, okay, now off with your head, wink, wink. And he'd like taps no. him on the neck and is like, okay. I think he died. Know. I think okay. he's absolutely dead. Okay. No, I, I actually, I thought up until that last line, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going to be just a game. The Green Knight's going to be like, oh, you, it's like Willy Wonka and the because whole. Because he says, he's like, congratulations, you know, yeah. Knight, or whatever. Yeah. But then when he drops that last line, I'm like, ah, uh, he's still going to do it, though. <laughs> so, I mean, he's still going to do it. Huh? I mean, Godwin did cut off his head. True. So, anyway, I, I'm i actually more in love with this film now the more I think about it. So. <laughs> It is. That's interesting. Both films today, you have become more in love with. I have. After we discussed uh, it's it. a dense film. There's a lot going on. I my one criticism, like we've said, is I do wish, I do wish it didn't require as much homework. I think the film benefits from having some understanding and knowledge behind it all. I think there's a benefit. I think you your your viewing experience is is, is heightened, but that shouldn't be the way it works. I mean, it shouldn't require that. So yeah. Also saw, and I think again, I've done more reading about this <laughs> film than probably any film in recent memory. Cause I was trying to make sense of it. Yeah. Also saw that supposedly there again, I do want to watch this film a second yeah. time because I think after I kind of know the framework, I think I probably will like it more because the first time I appreciated it kind of like I said about boyhood when we reviewed that I appreciated it as art, yeah. but not as entertainment. Right. Yeah. I think the second time through, I would appreciate it more as entertainment because if I can believe some of the stuff I've read, he leaves a lot more kind of breadcrumbs mm-hmm. than I realized. For instance, I don't know if you noticed this. I definitely did not. The Green Knight's face supposedly takes on different characteristics throughout the film. I, so supposedly yeah. at the end of the film, he kind of looks like Joe Edgerton. I kind of wondered so, that at one point because I actually thought at one point, oh, he does kind of look like the Lord there. Okay. Just for a moment, and his voice kind of sort of resembles it too. I, I want to pay more attention to it now that I've got a better scope of the whole film. Gotcha. Boy, we just spent a really long time talking <laughs> about this movie. So, uh-huh. uh, okay, that was a really long spoiler time, spoiler talk. We're going to take a moment. Let's take a little quick break, Chris. We're going to play a little ad in the middle. Then when we come back, hopefully everybody can rejoin us if they skipped ahead a good 10 minutes or whatever we just spent <laughs> on it. So, Sounds all right, good. stay tuned. This has been uh, Foot Candle Films. We're going to take a quick break. Come back with some news and some recommendations. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. 
Hello and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on TheMesh.tv. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you from the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival. Coming up September 22nd through the 26th of the year 2021 that we are currently in. So Chris, uh, remind us what we've got happening that weekend. So we will kick things off Wednesday night with a free outdoor screening of Rares of the Lost Ark. I'm familiar with that movie. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's the 40th anniversary. So yeah. yeah. Um, then Thursday, we'll be doing a, an event with the Visiting Writer Series at Lenoran University. Um, one of the things we did in addition to doing uh, screening films, that we've also invited for script writers to submit scripts. We chose two winners. They will be in attendance and we'll be doing a table read of their winning scripts. Mm -hmm. So that should be a lot of fun. Then starting Friday, we begin screening films, you know, the real deal starting at either, I think it's 11 a.m. that morning. 11 a.m. on Friday. Going until that evening, uh, late night, uh, both Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, yeah, films all the way through Sunday afternoon. Yes. And then we'll have an awards on uh, Sunday evening. So it should be a lot of fun. And if you don't live in Hickory or not in a surrounding county where, uh, you know, a trip up would be doable. If you do live in North Carolina, there's still going to be the capability for you to watch the films online a day after they screen. They'll have their on. So, for example, a film that screens on Friday, they will then be available Saturday morning for you to watch. So that way, if you can't make it here in person, if you live in North Carolina, you can watch the films online. So that'll be nice for people who can't attend in person. Yeah. Footcandlefilmfestival.com is the website where you can go and not only see uh, information on all the films we'll be screening, but also you can buy tickets. You can buy a festival pass, which is your best deal if you're planning on seeing multiple films throughout the weekend. And um, yeah, we would look forward to seeing a lot of people coming out and joining us either in person or virtually September 22nd through the 26th here in beautiful Hickory, North Carolina, the foothills of the North Carolina mountains. Uh, All right, Chris, let's go ahead and talk some movie news. Uh, We do have a couple of projects, or at least I think three projects we're going to talk about. These are, you know, you and I, this is what Chris and I do a lot of times. We both work in the same building and we, uh, we, we pass each other and we will mention films that we're hearing about that sound really interesting. And our question is always, well, it's kind of a statement, but it always ends kind of like a question is, <laughs> so this could be good, you know, type of thing. Maybe we're hopeful it's going to be good. It sounds promising, but we we'll definitely want to see how it comes together. So Chris, let me, let me start off with one. I'm going to say this is a, looks like it could be good, Okay, but there's one major flaw with this project. Uh-oh. Okay. So let me tell you everything about it before I tell you the one major flaw that could be where I, I can already sense what your reaction is going to be when I tell you this one flaw of this film. Okay. There's a film coming to Netflix. It is a Netflix original film. It's called Don't Look Up. Okay. Get okay. this. It stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. Hmm. Also features Jonah Hill, Tyler Perry, Timothy Chalamet, Ariana Grande, Kate Blanchett, that's a weird cast. Chris Evans, and Meryl Streep. It, do, is it a comedy? I'll get to that. Okay. It is about two low-level astronomers, played by DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence, who go on a media tour to warn mankind about Earth's impending doom. Okay. Okay. You with me so far, right? Don't look up. <laughs> Don't look I mean, up. I, I guess I am. Netflix yeah, sure. original. Um, 
big budget movie, lots of stars. Yeah. Interesting premise. Um, Is it modern day? Yes. Okay. Here's the rub. Who's the director? Wrote and directed by Adam McKay, who you may know last did Vice, which you and I were not big fans of. Also did the big short. Big short, which was good. Yeah. And of course, I still like him for his his real classic, Step Brothers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But the reason I say it could be the rub there is that I believe this film is going to be making some social statements about could it be related to pandemic and that people are trying to go around warning society about an impending issue, doom of science and that people are not listening and responding. How heavy handed is this going to be? Is this going to be about global warming? Is it going to be about COVID? I don't know. It makes me a little nervous that Adam McKay is the guy driving this. Now, if you told me this was a straight out comedy, Okay, but he has not been doing straight out comedies, and I think he's even said so much in like interviews that he's he's doing films that mean something to him now. Hmm. So, is this going to be too heavy handed? Is this going to be too much of a political statement? I don't know, but it's definitely interesting. Yeah, um, and then again, I think I, who doesn't like a good comedy? Um, but to be preached at and thinking how it could end end on probably a really downer dark note because <laughs> um, I know I know DiCaprio is a big environmental person yes. um, so yeah I, I don't know I like you say it sounds like it could be good you know Cass is interesting but yeah I, I don't know um, doesn't surprise me actually that it would be a Netflix thing because I think Netflix is willing to take risks on actors specifically a bunch of actors thrown on a project I don't think they care as much about, well, I shouldn't say that. I guess they do care somewhat about directors because like they got the Irishman, Martin Scorsese and stuff like that. But I think this is where people can go with projects they may feel like are a little riskier. Could be. Um, Well, I kind of anticipate the film is going to be the two main characters going through a meeting with a lot of different people and groups and media. And that's going to be that wide array of all those other actors I mentioned who may only have really small parts each, but they're more like, people you encounter during this whole media tour and you know so forth the project sounds really interesting again i just don't want to be preached at about global warming or for an hour and a half again i'm hey look i'm i'm passionate about global warming i think is an issue preaching to the choir but don't don't preach i mean i was also you you had me with the stuff you were trying to say in vice i just didn't need to be beat over the head with me like you did it in the film so um anyway we'll see how that goes about Um, very, very curious to see the tone of the film and where it goes, but interesting to see DiCaprio and and Jennifer Lawrence together as the two co-leads. I mean, haven't seen them work together and two, two actors still very much at the top of their game and, you know, big box office draws themselves could be a really interesting mix. Yeah, it could be. I'm trying to think of the last thing I saw DiCaprio in. It was once upon time in Hollywood. Oh yeah. That was it. So that's the last thing. Once upon time in Hollywood. Last thing for Jennifer Lawrence did was Red Sparrow, which okay. I never saw. I didn't she see that. She was in X-Men Dark Phoenix, but like... I did see that. For like a minute or two, I think, and it's not really... It's, yeah. I, I don't think it counts as an appearance, <laughs> so... Uh, so yeah. Red Sparrow was really her last, and it was that was several years ago. She hasn't sure. been anything in a while, so... Um, hmm. All right, well, that's uh, one project I had that could be good. Okay. What have you got? So... Director Walter Hill, Alan, mm-hmm. do you recognize the name? I do. Okay, so he did The Warriors. Yep. 
He did hard times mm-hmm. and he did 48 hours. Did 48 hours and uh, did a few more too. Did he do, <laughs> this is going to be a deep cut, but did he do the last Boy Scout Oh, with Bruce Willis? I do not know. I, I will allow you to consult Google. I think <laughs> well, I did. So, yeah. okay, director Walter Hill is making a new movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it stars Oscar winner Christoph Waltz and Oscar nominee William Defoe. So, there again, sounds like this could be good. What are they doing? Well, it's going to be a Western, and Waltz is kind of playing a similar type character that he did and Django Unchained, where he's playing a bounty hunter. Okay. And William Defoe is somebody who's like his nemesis. Hmm. And because he once upon a time got put in jail by <laughs> Christoph Waltz's character. Okay. So uh, it's set in Mexico, um, and Waltz is supposed to be tracking down a, a wife of somebody to return her because she was like, I guess, kidnapped or something. So that's the general, you know, outlines of the plot. Alan, do you think that that sounds like that could be good? Um, I'm probably going to need a little bit more to like make a determination whether I think it could be good or not. Uh, I'm not one way or another on Walter Hero films. I Got mean, you. I'm not a big fan. I mean, I mean, 48 Hours is good. Uh, the Warriors is good. Uh, I know he's made films since he's, then, right. but I don't really know if any of them or feel like any of them really gotten my attention. <laughs> um, Christoph Waltz is the he's one only, thing he's only directed three movies in the last 20 years okay and check these out because I'm sure you'll they'll bring no they won't bring anything to mind 2002's Undisputed mm. 2012's Bullet to the Head mm-hmm. and 2016's The Assignment right so, so. as I said <laughs> um, I'm going to need more information before I can I get you. excited about this um, I uh, I like Christoph Waltz though I will give Christoph Waltz an automatic pass on just about anything. Um, but I, I just, I will need to see a little bit more before I can make a determination. I on think this one. Bo- just the fact of Defoe and Waltz like sparring off against yeah, each other, I mean, that, that could to me be is good. like, and in a that Western, which I feel like if you're bringing a Western to the screen in these days, you've got to have something there because people just don't really care yeah. about Westerns that much. No, you've so got you've two got really got good actors. Two. Uh, sparring off against each other. I like the premise is good. Just, yeah, I need a little more assurance that we've got a good movie in store there. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So here's my, here's our third one, our last one. Uh, this could be good. And um, Chris, we are both, we're pretty good fans of Adam Driver, right? Yes. Yeah. Like Adam Driver a lot. Uh, one of my favorite films from year before last was Marriage Story. Mm, okay. Was that 2018 or 19? Everything blurs together because of the pandemic. It was one of those I think two it was years. 2019. Okay. I, I, I believe so as well. Okay. That was my favorite film of the year, I believe, or at least in the top two or three that year. Okay. So, Happy Me, <laughs> Noah Baumbach, who directed Marriage Story, right. is uh, his new film, White Noise, is an adaptation, uh, and it stars Adam Driver. So, okay. bringing Adam Driver back. Along with Adam Driver, we've got Don Cheadle. Okay. Uh, Greta Gerwig, who is Noah Baumbach's wife, so uh, he's she has been in a lot of his films. She was not in Marriage Story, but she is coming for this one. She was too busy doing Little Women or something. <laughs> Could be. And then uh, Jody Turner Smith. Okay. Um, the film is based on a 1985 do- novel by Don DeLeo, and it satirizes consumerism, mortality, and the mundanity of everyday life in the U.S. All wrapped up in a postmodern bow. Hmm. 
in the actual log line from Netflix. This is another Netflix film, so I'm just on a Netflix roll today. I think he signed I think a he did. deal with them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the adaptation dramatizes a contemporary American family's attempt to deal with the mundane conflicts of day-to-day life while grappling with the larger philosophical issues of love, death, and the possibility of unhappiness in an uncertain world. See, okay, here's what's interesting about that. Despite the fact I like Adam Driver, um, despite the fact I like Greta Gerwig and Don Cheadle, and, you know, Noah Baumbach, you know, I liked Marriage Story. I really liked um, While We're Young that he did. But if you just told me that plot description, (laughs) I I would not be interested in this at all. What gives me hope then you're saying? Well, the fact that it's based on a book and I've heard of that author, like he's, he's well-respected. So it's a bestseller. I'm like, okay, so there's a story that was enough to sell a bunch of books. (laughs) So that to me says it's not just some story about unhappiness because I've seen that in marriage story. (laughs) So, um, the fact that that's what gives me, um, hope that it won't just be a slog because otherwise even though I like a lot of people involved, I'd say that would be a slog. So, well, yeah. And, and I'm just a little bit more about the film, which I think, you know, it's a, it's a satirical story. So there is going to be some of satire, that satire okay. of it. Um, story of Jack and Babette Gladney, which are being played by Adam driver and Greta Gerwig, I believe. Okay. Uh, they're a pioneer of quote, Hitler studies at a local college. Um, <laughs> Oh, Which dear. that again kind of tells you the angle they're taking with this, and when it comes to satire, so hmm. um, uh, they wander across a whole host of modern anxieties, spiraling, spiraling ever inward towards the Gladney's grim and omnipresent fear of their own demise. Hmm. Um, I can see a little bit more of a, a a higher level satire of the squid and the whale, kind of with the couple sure. and just uh, grappling with their beliefs in society. I don't could be again marriage stories got me sold sure that's all i need to know let's do it i want to see this now but but that's not even the thing i was making the news about chris okay. they just added somebody else to the cast um andre 3000 from outcast um who has acted in things he has he is just uh supposedly now part of this film have you seen him in anything because um, i've seen him in two different things i don't think i well no wait a minute there is one thing i saw what did i see him in all right, you tell me what you saw him in. Uh, so it was a movie by, um, man, was that French director? She's real well respected. It was a science fiction thing. Had Robert Pattinson in it. High Life. I yes, think was he was in it. High Life. You're right. I saw, and he was good in that. Then I saw him in a movie that was not so good. Um, High Times was okay. Um, I thought it was a little slow. Kind of suffered from the David Lowry problem. Um, <laughs> Claire Denis, I think, is the person who did um, High Life. So um, I also saw him in the film that he made right after a rise about outcast was about to break up. And it was like, Oh, it was like a 1950s oh, type thing. Idlewild. Idlewild. Mm-hmm. But it had like, had some music in it. So it was kind of like a music video, man, that did not work. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, I guess it was a chance. It was really risky. They, they tried and it just didn't work. I mean, it was basically like an extended music video where the story behind it doesn't really hold up that well. So I have seen those two things, but, um, I know that Andre 3000 can act. So I'm, that is interesting that he's now in the white noise. You call it? Well, and I should clarify white noise is the name of the book. Okay. But, uh, the film is tentatively titled wheat germ. 
Wheat but germ. that may just be a working title. I don't know. So we'll see. It's either going to be White Noise or Wheat Germ, one of the two. Okay. But that's uh, I'm I'm looking forward to it because it's Noah Baumbach because Adam Driver's in it. Yeah. And uh, I'm just I'm just curious. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So that's our three projects. Um, I'd say of the three, which of the three are you the most int- intrigued by or interested in? Oh. Remind me of the first one. The first one was the Don't Look Up. The, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, the Adam McKay. Um, I'll go ahead and say the the one you mentioned, uh, the Don DeLillo um, novel. The, bomb, the Noah Bomb. Yeah, the film. White Noise or Weed That's term. probably the one I'm the, most, I'm, I'm the most looking forward to. I am the most curious about Don't Look Up, just because I don't know what tone it's going to take, but I, I love all the actors involved. So my, um, my pairing of Defoe and Waltz takes third place. Okay. Third place. I mean, hey, it still could be good, though. I mean, I'll give it, <laughs> it that much. It could be good. Sure. All right. Well, that's our movie news. That's our three projects that we are following at the moment and kind of curious to see what happens. Of course, we'll have to follow up with all of them in the next couple of years whenever they get released and see if our, our questioning of whether they're going to be good or not actually holds up. Now, Chris, this is at the end of the show here where you and I both will give a recommendation of a film that either we just recently caught back up with or recalled or had a chance to see for the first time and we want to recommend to our audience. Chris, I'm going to let you go first. Okay. You could. So a um, couple, maybe two years ago, you and I uh, reviewed Pain and Glory by Pedro Almodovar. And we both yes. admitted, you know, we know this guy's a real well-respected Spanish filmmaker. We actually... I've seen a couple of his films, but we could stand to see more. At that time, I went on Letterboxd and added The Skin I Live In to my watch list. And I just now, these you know year and a half or whatever later, finally got around to catching up with it. Um, I'll give you a brief plot description. Sure. A brilliant plastic surgeon, played by Antonio Banderas, creates a synthetic skin that withstands any kind of damage. His guinea pig, a mysterious and volatile woman who holds the key to his obsession. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say, go into this film knowing no more than that plot. So that's it. That's all you need to know. That's well. That's all you should know. Okay. Um, this film is wild, especially where it ends up. So go in without any spoilers, if possible. Um, it is definitely not a family film. <laughs> um, it is. It's it can be graphic at times, um, but it is really interesting um, about what it has to say. And I'm not even sure you'd have to really we'd have to have a whole discussion, kind of like we did about the Green Knight, about what it is saying about um, gender roles and about um, it's not flattering towards dudes. I think you can pretty much say that, mm-hmm. which a lot of Almodovar's films tend to yeah, be, yeah. you know, more critical of males than oh, females. Absolutely. And, yeah. you know. So, um, but it's just, it's a really interesting film, kind of Hitchcockian, some of the terms, uh, turns it takes and twists it has. Um, it's not for the weak at heart, <laughs> but um, I do recommend it. I really liked it. Um, there's There's a lot to talk about afterwards um after you've seen it so uh, i kind of said in my letterbox review it's kind of like alma dovar's example of two wrongs don't make a right but okay they're probably more than just two wrongs i wasn't keeping count <laughs> mm. it's a doozy of a film so uh, that's my recommendation uh you can stream it a lot of different places um but it's the skin i live in from 2011 and he's coming out with a new film um i think it's premiering at some point um but it's called parallel mothers I think it's premiering kind of towards the end of the year. It'll probably be released right around like 
December or whatever. But that was another reason I wanted to catch up with this was to try to broaden my knowledge of his films before that one came out. Hmm. So Skin I Live In. Skin I Live In. No, it's been on my watch list for a really long time too. I just have not gotten to see it. But now I'd, you've I'd got me interested. Intrigued. I'd be interested to see your You've got me intrigued, so I may have to check that out, accelerate it on my list. Okay. Which unfortunately brings me to my point with my recommendation. Chris, I, 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 I told you before the recording, I struggle with these recommendations. Sure. For a couple reasons. A, I, I do not get to watch as many movies as I'd like throughout the week. Um, there's many weeks I don't get to watch any. Sure. So it's, it's a challenge for me. I feel like I've, I've recommended all of my films that I love and to try to think back or find films that, you know, a, we haven't already talked about B I actually like, Oh, just recommend the Hudsucker proxy. Come on. Do Can it. I do it? <laughs> um, because I certainly will. I could. No, you. I've, I know you've at least recommended it on one other show. I don't know if you've recommended it more than that. I think I've. I think I've recommended it twice. I, I think, think it's popped up twice. So um, this is a film I don't think I've recommended, but I know we reviewed because we showed it at a Foot Candle screening several oh, okay. years ago. But I'm gonna bring it back up because we mentioned the the director's name as an actor in the film, The Suicide Squad, uh, Taika Waititi. Okay, and. Uh, he also just appeared in the film Free Guy, which I've not seen. I have not seen that yet. I'm curious. I'm actually, I'm actually okay to go see it. And I know he plays like the bad guy or something in that film. And suppose he's getting some live attention for being just very outlandish and having a lot of fun with the role, which sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, we talked about Jojo Rabbit, you know, a, a couple of years ago. And mm-hmm. I really liked that film a lot. That one really got me. Um, so it did cause me to go back and I have watched again parts of uh, I don't know if it's this first film, but it's definitely like a first film that got some attention. It's Hunt for the Wilder People. Mm. Um, if you watch it now, knowing Taika Waititi, knowing the kind of films he's involved with right now, he's doing the new Thor movie, you know. Love and Thunder. Uh, Love and Thunder, which... He did I'm Ragnarok. For, he did Ragnarok, yeah. and I'm looking forward to the new one as well. Um, you may see Hunt for the Wilder People as kind of a tame movie compared to some of the other ones he's been involved with and working on some of his persona now. And it is pretty tame, but it's really good. It's a fun movie. It's, it's also a very heartwarming movie. Um, I love the fact that it takes place in a very unique environment, which is out in the New Zealand bush. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not a lot of films take place out there, so it's kind True. of a fun to see a different uh, environment. Basically, here we have the story of a, there's a manhunt being ordered for this rebellious kid um, and his foster uncle that he's, he's kind of taken up with. Uh, they both go missing out in the New Zealand bush. And so Sam Neill plays that uncle uh, and then Julian Dennison. This is the first thing I think a lot of people saw him in uh, plays Ricky, the young kid. He kind of got a reputation in the film for being a little foul mouth and a little kind of abrasive kid. Which is probably his demo tape for Deadpool two. I was going to say <laughs> uh, if the next time you see him is in Deadpool two and he gets to play kind of a variation of his Ricky character, but getting to throw fireballs and all too. So, you know, there's that, um, <laughs> But actually, it did work. His role in Deadpool 2 worked for me as well. I thought he was really good there, too. So it's just, it is a fun movie. It is humorous. There's some great moments of comedy. But it's a lot of heart to the film, too. I'd say it's the closest to Jojo Rabbit in terms of, like, a Taika Waititi film. Jojo Rabbit was a little more stylish. He did a little more with music and uh, imagery and dream sequences and all that than than Hunt for the Wilder People did. Uh, But... Hunt for the Wilder People, really good film. I think it's worth checking out, especially if you're going to be bombarded by Taika Waititi stuff in the, here the next couple of years. 
because he's also working on another film project, if I remember correctly. I think we might have even talked about it at one point that has a much more of a dramatic feel to it hmm. to kind of balance out the big budget superhero movies he's working on. So I forgot Julian Dennison was also in Godzilla versus Kong. No, <laughs> no, I, I say that I like that movie, but I, I couldn't tell you anything the humans did in the movie. Sure. So yeah, that was sure. my problem there. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, he wasn't that. Did he get stepped on? Yeah. I don't, I don't really remember, but I'll take your word for it. <laughs> um, so hunt for the wilder people. I did get to catch back up with it uh, recently and you know, it, it holds up really good. It's fun. I like it a lot. Um, and I think uh, it's, it's a good watch. And it's, I mean, it's PG-13. It's a good family watch. I think it's, uh, you know, there's nothing too disturbing or bothersome in it. It's, uh, it's just a good, good all-around movie. So Hunt for the Wilder People. Um, Takaway TD, as you may know, kind of got started working with what we do in the shadows and, and some of the, that work, uh, which obviously in itself has grown into its own TV series and continues to be really strong there. So uh, he's he's going to be around for a while, Mr. So. Mr. Watiti. He's, and he won an Oscar for the screenplay for yes. Jojo Rabbit. So, yeah. so he is uh, between comedy, superhero, big budget stuff, and some more dramatic pieces like Jojo Rabbit. I think uh, he's got a nice mix of work. Um, and he's going to be around. For, plus, he's an actor, and he's funny. So, you know, there's all these things <laughs> that make Lots him a great potential. person to follow. So. Okay, well, I think that is all of our show today. We had our reviews of The Suicide Squad, which... We both are positive on, but you know, not overwhelming, glowing. I'm a definitely more positive than Chris was, but we're both saying it's has it has some good stuff there. Yeah. Um, then we're also both positive on the Green Knight. I was also a lot more positive than you, <laughs> so I'm just coming out super positive know, on everything. I'm, I'm the Grinch on this episode. Um, yeah. The Green Grinch. So the I Green Grinch. You did there. there you go. Um, Positive. I'm definitely saying it's worth a watch, but with a caveat, you need to know what you're getting into and you need to know the kind of movie it is before you watch it. Um, then we had our news items. Sounds like it's going to be the, uh, sounds like the film that we're the most excited about is going to be the uh, Noah Baumbach film. Wheat germ. Wheat germ. <laughs> but the other two sound intriguing as well. So we'll be keeping our eye on those. And then Chris recommended the film. The Skin I Live In. The Skin I Live In by Alma Dovar. I did Hunt for the Wilder People by Watiti. Mm-hmm. That's our show for today. Chris, if anybody wants to follow up with us, counteract anything we said, <laughs> pick a fight, uh, get upset that they didn't skip far enough in the spoiler section and got ruined by go. the Green Knight, how can they go about talking with us? So you can send us an email to info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. I mentioned on the show that I'm actually on Letterboxd. Alan is as well. And that's Letterboxd without the last E there. It's the creative way, the internet way of spelling it. Um, Alan, you and I both mentioned on the show, Foot Candle Film Festival. Don't forget it. 22nd through the 26th of September. Footcandlefilmfestival.com is where you can go to find out more information about that. Last but not least, I would encourage you to give us a star rating, write a review, share with friends in iTunes to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate it. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. All right. Lots of ways to follow us and catch up with us. Thanks so much for listening to the Foot Candle Films podcast today. We will be back soon with more reviews, news, and recommendations. Uh, Until then, thanks a lot. We'll talk to you later. See you in the ticket line.
film society. Special thanks to Carpal Tuller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.